So this morning, we are going to turn our attention to the New Testament book of Hebrews, uh, chapters 11, 12, and 13. Obviously not going to read them all, just going to kind of move in and out of, of those. As you turn there in your Bible, I do want to just ask you to humor me for about 60 seconds. I want to share uh, just some thoughts I have uh, around the finances of our church. Uh, so first of all, let me say uh, nothing is wrong per se, uh, but I think things could be a, a little bit better. As many of you know that uh, God's plan A for taking care of his church is is us. And if you look at percentages, I don't look at names. I never have. Uh, it's just a choice I've made, but I do look at percentages. And w- looking at percentages, I realize that uh, significantly less than 50% of our church carry 100% of the financial burden. And I, I think that could be, uh, I think that could be better. Uh, again, nothing is inherently wrong, but there's more that we could do both off campus and on campus in our world. Uh, through the generosity of giving. And I know times are tough. I was just at the grocery store and my favorite pint of ice cream went up $2 a pint, which the struggle is real. It's criminal. And I, I get it. I'm with you. I, I, I But uh, so what I'm asking is uh, those of you that for whatever reason have either stopped giving or have never given, uh, I'm going to ask you to join me, uh, join us uh, in supporting the church that you love. Because again, it's, there's no like magic money tree out back. We just, we depend on each other for the programs in our church, those things out side of our church. The, the pastors depend on your faithful giving to like feed their kids and, and my kids are hungry. So, uh, <laughs> so thanks uh, for that. And I hope that you'll join us. Of course, you can give online and in the boxes as you leave. Uh, but I want to invite you to become a faithful giver uh, with the rest of us to support this great church that we all love. On October 28th, 1949, a Christian missionary to the Quechua Indians of Ecuador named Jim Elliott wrote these words in his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Shortly after writing those words, Jim Elliott was killed, was martyred by the very people he was trying to reach. Jim Elliott is a stunning example of an individual who chose to share his life, to give his life for that which he truly believed. History teaches us that over time, over history, people have given themselves fully to that which they believe. And so this morning I would make the argument that it is impossible to grow in your faith, to draw closer to Jesus, to mature without sharing your life. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote in his epistle that faith without works is actually dead. I also believe that within each one of us, within our creation, is the desire a desire, a drive to want to give, to serve, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Oh, I would admit that from time to time that 
that desire gets suppressed because of disappointment or frustration or life situation. And yet there is something in every one of us that has this this desire, this drive to be a part of something bigger. Years ago, I read a history book called 1776. It was an account of the American Revolutionary War. And in that book, one of the things that struck me is that those that fought the war rarely referred to it, if ever, as the American Revolutionary War. But they did refer to it as the glorious cause. What is it that caused these individuals to live in tents in the middle of winter, below zero temperatures, fighting disease, starvation, living in utter filth? Well, they did it because of the glorious cause. They believed in something bigger than themselves. I suppose that then begs the question, what is the glorious cause of the Christian church? Because when Jesus established his church on earth, he in some ways left it with the expectation that we would together be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And I fear that as time goes on, we, and I use we as the collective we, the royal we, Have we lost sight of that? I wonder, have we, have I become so self-centered that my glorious cause is nothing more than self-promotion, self-fulfillment, and self-centeredness? Has religion been reduced to a commodity that we buy and sell, that we consume and give very little in return. Is faith been reduced to nothing more than an intellectual assent? I wonder, have I really become that self-centered? In a recent survey, uh, teenagers were asked, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? And 54% responded, I want to be a celebrity. Oh, I wonder if there's a bigger cause, something greater than simply being known. I would argue that the Apostle Paul answers that question in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 6, when he writes, the only thing that counts, those really are strong words, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Both of the operative words in that sentence are, are action words. Expressing is it requires something of myself, and, and the word love is, is, is a verb, it's an action. And so again, I believe it is impossible for those of us wanting to grow in our faith, it is impossible to mature without sharing our life. So what then do we do? I turn now to the text of the book of Hebrews. No one is certain who wrote the book of Hebrews. There's a lot of theories as to the author. But the theme of Hebrews is quite clear. Over and over and over, the author is making the statement that Jesus is better than anything in this world. Jesus is better than life itself. Jesus is better even in the midst of adversity. The author of the book of Hebrews writes that God is 
working redemptively through history to draw all things to himself, to redeem and restore creation. And though it seems as though we live within an endless stream of worry, Hebrews eleven, twelve, and 13 is a call to loving action in the world. A call to share our faith, not force it, but to share it. A call to be generous, a call to be peacemakers, the call to live with compassion towards the poor and the marginalized, the call to work for the betterment of humanity. And so as we open the text, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 39, uh, begins with the why that makes life worth living. Hebrews 11, 1 through 39 is a a tribute to people of faith through history who have sacrificially shared their life, who knew their why, who gave themselves to a cause bigger than themselves. I mean, do do we truly understand our why for existence? Oh, many of us search, many of us seek. We, we even create television programs about, about seeking, about searching. I like to watch, too. There's one television show called Expedition Unknown. The host each week goes on a different expedition to find something um, that's valuable or a lost city or something. And, and a lot of the times, he either finds nothing or something less sensational than promise, but it keeps you coming back the next week. And then, of course, on Animal Planet, there's a television show uh, called Finding Bigfoot. It's a, it's a true story. And this group of expert Bigfoot hunters each week gets very close. There are signs, there are, th- 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 there's sounds. He's out there. And they come so close. And for 10 seasons, they've come so close. <laughs> but it keeps bringing me back for more because we seek. We seek significance, but where are we finding it? When I was in high school, our high school football team went to the state championship twice, and I think won once. I I didn't play football, but I was there kind of, you know, cheering them on. And in in my high school in the 90s, football players were just short of God's. Right? Everyone wanted to be like the football players. But there's something interesting that happened to every single football player in my high school and probably yours. For most of them, it happened on this, their senior year. On the last play of the last game, when the last whistle blew. When the last whistle blew, these young men that were viewed as gods in high school became just like everybody else. I mean, no one in my class went to a D1 school. No one in my class went to the NFL. After that, there was the bigger why. My whole identity's wrapped up in this. Now, now what? We all search for something, something to believe in. The daughter of the famous atheist Bertrand Russell said her father's whole life was a search for God. She wrote, somewhere in the back of my father's mind, at the bottom of his heart, in the depths of his soul, there was an empty space that had once been filled by God, and he never found anything else to put in it. So what is our why? Back to the text, Hebrews 11, verse 35. 
speaking of these, these people of faith through history, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated, and the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. To which I ask, why would they do that? Well, they were living faithfully, they were sharing their life, and they were pointing people to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that great cloud of witnesses being a reference back to those people of faith described in chapter 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Oh, let us throw off those things, those things that are meaningless, those things that entangle and hinder us. Let us be holy. The word holy means to be separate. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Oh, there are so many things that we could fix our eyes on. But when you choose, when I choose to fix my eyes on Jesus, when I gaze intently at him, the peace that replaces anxiety, the joy that replaces despair, the hope, Oh, something changes and people notice. See, when you stare at Jesus long enough, it transforms your life and people notice. So as you gaze at him, maybe others around you step back and... What are you looking at? Well, let me tell you. My eyes are fixed on one that changed everything for me. The, the, The Apostle Paul... The Apostle Paul says that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we become the aroma of Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 2. He uses us to spread the aroma and the knowledge of him everywhere. My daughter Hannah, when she comes home from college, she always has this uncanny ability to get me to take her to crumble cookie. I love cookies, and crumble cookie changes their flavors every week, and so if the flavor of the week has anything with peanut butter in it, she knows she has me, and she'll flip through and she'll say, Dad, you know what the flavors of the week this are? Can we go? Which means take me and pay for it, and so I can't say no to her, but I, I say, Hannah, okay, there's, there's five flavors this week. We're getting two. We're only getting two because they're not cheap, and they're like a 1,000 calories, Okay, Dad, so we, we get there, and oh, you walk in in the aroma. Oh, it's so good. All right, we're getting them all, because the, the aroma is irresistible. The Apostle Paul says we give off 
and aroma. So what do you smell like? Is it a sweet aroma that makes others ask questions and points people to Christ? Or is the aroma much like the carton of milk in the back of my refrigerator that I forgot about for a month and when I pulled it out, the smell was overpowering, offensive. See, see Jesus, Jesus lived this irresistible life. People couldn't help themselves around him. He was, he was refreshing water for thirsty souls. There's one particular story, one particular encounter, many of you know it. In the Gospels, Jesus is traveling to Samaria, and he sits down by a well, and there are, there's a woman there, a Samaritan woman. And Jesus does what would have been unthinkable in his culture. He talks to her. A man, particularly a Jewish man, and maybe more particularly a Jewish rabbi, would never in Jesus' day talk to any woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. But Jesus, he, he blurs all the boundaries. And he talks to her, and he asks her for a drink of water, and he goes on to say that I actually have water that will cause you to never be thirsty again. And she says, oh, sir, would you give me this living water? And Jesus says, yeah, but, but first go get your husband. Jesus has this unbelievable way of speaking truth, sometimes hard truth, but in such a way that people respond, in such a way that is so grace-filled that people are drawn to him, not repelled by him. So he says, go and get your husband. And she says, sir, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right, you have five. And the guy you're living with, he's not your husband either. Just matter of fact, there's just the, there was no judgment. It was just, this is truth and let's work, work through truth. And so she runs back to her village and she says to everybody, come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? And the scriptures say the whole village comes out. And they're so inspired, so compelled that they say, Jesus, please don't leave you. You've got to stay. You've got to stick around. Oh, I want to be like that. I want to be that kind of church. See, Christianity grew historically because his people were faithful, others noticed, and the Holy Spirit did his work. I mean, a large part of why Christianity grew is because people noticed that they noticed how followers of Jesus responded during crisis, during points in history when, when plague and sickness would ravish empires, when everyone was running away for fear of their life, for fear of being infected. It was the Christians that stayed and tended to the sick and dying at risk of their own life because they lived for something bigger than themselves. Christians loved each other. And we're not offended by each other. They loved each other so well that others noticed. What is it about those crazy people? They noticed that followers of Jesus sacrificed themselves for that which they believed in. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 11, this, this list, this tribute to those that gave their life for their faith, people noticed. They noticed that Christians contributed to the needy. And through history, it was the Christians that built many of the hospitals and the schools. Many Ivy League schools were started by Christians. They built orphanages and started ministries that cared for the poor and people noticed. See, these early Christians, they were always looking at Jesus. 
What do you fix your eyes on? Are your eyes fixed on success? Are your eyes fixed on, on offense? Are your eyes fixed on that hurt you can't seem to get over? What do you fix your eyes on? What do others notice about me? And am I living a life worth noticing? What is it that people say Mike is always doing or never doing? There's a story in the book of Acts chapter 9 about a woman named Tabitha. The scripture says, in women there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek her name was Dorcas, which probably didn't go over well in school, but Tabitha, and she was always doing good, always helping the poor. There's one line in scripture about her, and the one line that is written is that she was always doing good, always helping the poor, and people notice. She was always ready. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 3 and 6 are a a call, that sharing our life is not an event or a program. Sharing our life is a way of living. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So always be ready. Continue to remember those in prison. Always be ready as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as you yourselves for suffering. And do not forget to do good. Always be ready to do good, to share with others. For such sacrifices, God is pleased. I go back to the story of Jim Elliot, a man who was always ready to share his life, and as a result, gave his life for that which he believed in. But that's not where the story ended. Because a few years later, his wife... Elizabeth Elliot went back to Ecuador to the same tribe that killed her husband. She lived with them. She ministered to them and even led the man who thrust a spear through her husband's heart to Christ. She chose to forgive and they noticed. The whole village noticed, in fact, and many of them came to faith in Christ. How could she do that? The guy that killed her husband. Well, her eyes were fixed on Jesus and people noticed. Now, now I realize that's a sensational story. I don't know any of us that are planning on going to Ecuador and living amongst undiscovered tribes. But I wonder, are we offering others a taste of God's love? Are we sharing our life? Are we fixing our eyes on Jesus? Because when you look at the way Jesus lived his life, he, he felt for people. Like he never labeled people. And Jesus understood that, that we're the rate, we're the way we are for a reason. Everybody has a story. And so Jesus, Joseph, Jesus always saw the story before he saw the issue. He showed compassion and patience and he listened. He told the truth, but with empathy and grace. In October, we typically begin an emphasis called Operation Love Your Neighbor. But we've decided Operation Love Your Neighbor is much too big for one month. So for the next 12 months, 
we are going to focus on ways in which we as a church can reach out to our neighbors, to those that live around us and share Christ's love in some compelling ways. And so this month, as we kick this all off, we've got a few opportunities that I think are important because they're small steps that allow each one of us to share a little bit of ourself in very practical ways. Our first opportunity is to take a bus trip to Illinois to the headquarters of Feed My Starving Children and pack meals for hungry people around the world. That's happening on Saturday, October 14th. Anyone over the age of five can participate. Great family event to take your whole family and share just a little bit of your life with those in need. On Saturday, October 8th, we have another event in which we're going to pack gift bags for our ministry partners in Milwaukee and Washington County. Individuals who give of their life but get very little recognition. So we are going to, in Jesus' name, offer them a little bit of our love. On October 10th, we have an event here in which you can quite literally share your life by donating blood through our blood drive. And finally, there's a Another event on October 21st in which we're going to build a home through Habitat for Humanity for a well-deserving family in West Bend. All of these opportunities are on our website, northbrookchurch.org forward slash Olin. You can register for all these activities. We'd love for you to do so. And we'd love for you to be a part of sharing your life in simple and small ways. Ways that may seem small to us, but make a huge difference to those on the other end. God, I, I'm thankful for a church that, that desires to live for something a bit bigger than ourself. There's only so much we can do individually, but collectively, oh, the impact we can have on our neighbors, on those that live just across the street. So would you help us, God, would you help me to share my life, to fix my eyes on Jesus, to be the aroma of Christ, to put myself aside and live for something bigger. Amen.